Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Addy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this edition, if anyone can, Jose can, but surely even the special one can't bring back a striker from the dead, can he? Also, he's still stuck in France. Is this a write-off season for Mbappe or could it be the year he wins the Champions League with PSG to make his extra time there worthwhile? And the Bundesliga looks hard to call this season. It's still anybody's league, but which team is the most likely to take advantage if Bayern trip up? Talking of Bayern... Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Bundesliga. You are 60 today. You see, you've just cut out the second bit where you go, how old are you now? How old are you now? I, I suppose it's for brevity because we've got so much to chat about. We, we want to get on. We have. Yeah. Yeah, but but 60, 60 years of Bundesliga. You, you, you forget how young professionalism is in Germany, don't you? Yeah, but it actually like I have to admit I was unaware of that until I came in this morning. Um, the the sixtieth anniversary that one sailed by me. So, yeah, it, it shocked me a little bit. I think we sort of forget how fast the world moves. It's remarkable. Who would you have on a cake, a sixtieth birthday cake for ah, the Bundesliga? Okay, um, are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking both of you. Oh, that's a tough. Do you want it's, to go, it's ladies a really, first? It's a really tough one, isn't it? Because like, I think. All of our ideas of any league are formed by like our lifetimes and what we were around for, obviously. True. Yeah. So like part of me thinks, is it too ridiculous even to say, even though he's not German, Robert Lewandowski, he's been mm. so sort of ah, overarching and, like the way you did and dominant. But actually the, the first one that came into my head, being totally honest, was Oliver Kahn. Oliver yeah. Kahn, I don't know why goalkeeper, but I just think he's one of those figures who I think because he was part of that um, chapter of, of Bayern Munich, sort of um, not just dominance domestically, but prominence not dominance but prominence in Europe and playing those games against Manchester United yeah. things like that all, yeah. all, all stick in my mind I'd have to go for the Kaiser because that's my generation um, yeah. and I'll tell you why he looks so imperious even in the defeat against England in the 66 World Cup he stands out as you know your, your archetypical German machine and the way he moved the ball he caressed the ball he knew where the ball was going if everybody else around him had been as imperious as him, then I don't think England would have won that World Cup final. And I, th- I think you look at his influence stretches like through decades, doesn't it? As through, a coach and th- as a player. Yeah, through West, West Germany, through Bayern, et cetera, et cetera. For, for what it's worth, I would have Edin Dzeko on the cake because <laughs> he's... Well, because he won the league with Wolfsburg as part of that incredible front two with Grafic. And also because he's quite long and lean, he'd fit around the six quite nicely, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Oh, dear. Anyway, let's talk about Serie A. Mm -hmm. Oh, my word. Uh, There were all sorts of questions about what teams, um, first of all, Napoli, whether Mm -hmm. they could reclaim the title that they won last season but also about the strikers in Serie A who seem to be disappearing. Ozumen, that you've talked about quite a, you know, quite at length, uh, Nicky. We expected him to not be playing in Italy this season, didn't we? I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far. First of all, I'm always happy to talk about Ozumen at length because I think he's just, I think he's so good. I think he's such a wonderful player to watch. And I think um, of all the players in Serie A who I think everyone should be watching, it's it's him above everyone to me. Um but uh, 
I I don't know if I necessarily thought he was going to leave this summer because Aurelia De Laurentiis is such a hard negotiator because he's not someone who ever lets big pieces go for less than he thinks they're worth. I thought it was possible because you might not get a better moment to, to cash in than having just won the league. But um, but it's certainly a, a fascinating dynamic with him now because he's got a contract that runs till 2025. So two years, that's not a point where you have to panic sell, but it's a point where you're thinking, mm, if we leave it till next summer, things are going to get more difficult. Um, and he's got uh, this sort of talk all summer that's been happening about a one-year extension being signed, which would also put a release clause into the deal. So kind of a good um, situation you would think for everybody. You put a firm release clause in there so he knows if he can get someone to pay for it, then he can go. Napoli know they're not going to run into that situation of, of being down to the final year. But it hasn't happened yet. And Osiman came off after scoring two goals in the season opener. He came off and said, um, you know, uh, De Laurentiis is the boss and uh, we'll see what happens at the end of the transfer window. And just that phrasing, what happens at the end of the transfer window, I think caused people to go, hang on, is this not quite as... <laughs> well, because everyone thought it was done, thought. didn't yeah. they? Without without the official announcement, yeah, exactly. But th- th- this wasn't only not the official announcement. This was him saying, "Well, you know, we've not seen the ending yet, have we?" Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a more open ended comment than I think anyone expected from him. I, I to clarify, I I don't think I'm expecting anyone to swoop in and and make the buy between now and the end of August because I, I don't even know who could because it would be. But there was a lot of interest in him. Yeah. There? Well, look if if. Until the price. Yeah. yeah of course. Yeah. If I was, say, the owner of a Premier League club looking for someone to replace my 100 million euro striker, ah. if there was one of such a things, he'd be the number one name on my list. Whether Are you or not trying would... to encourage your rival team to <laughs> spend the irresponsibly? It's thing that I want to happen as an Arsenal <laughs> fan, but it, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's so far and away the, the standout name. And I think about Manchester United as well. We've talked about Hoyland on this podcast. Um, I think Hoyland's an interesting signing, but the gap between the gamble you're making there and the sure thing you've got with Victor Osimhen is, I think, in my opinion, um, more than worth the price jump that you'd have to you'd have to come up with. Um, no, I, I I don't currently expect that to happen. But it was interesting that he phrased it that way. Maybe it's partly just the game you play when you're negotiating a contract mm. to say, hey, you know, I've got my options open. Maybe it's just a footballer who's tired coming off and having a. Uh, microphone stuck in his face and and the words come out as they come out which sometimes can be more exciting sounding in our heads than they were really intended to be and he's not the only striker in Serie A that showed up in the opening weekend with a brace of goals Lautaro Martinez who as we know now is a World Cup winner amongst other things as well Um, he's been at Inter for quite a while and they couldn't have it started off, he couldn't have started off his season with, you know, a better commitment to Inter than a brace of goals. Yeah, so of course, Inter have said goodbye to Edin Dzeko, said goodbye to Romelu Lukaku, so they have signed Marco Anatovic, who had a hand in one of those goals. He but... looked okay, actually. Yeah, he, he did. Okay, On his best behaviour. Yes. Of course he was, at the moment. That's, that's it. I mean, Arnautovic is, is a, I think, the most diplomatic way I can say it, a complicated figure. Mm. Um, but... Um, I think for footballing talent and putting everything else to one side, I think he's due uh, a chance at least. I don't think he's due to be treated as the world's greatest, but I think he, I think he's good enough that he can fit at a at a club like this. It was interesting actually his uh, intro interview with Inter that they put out on socials and stuff. When he said, "Our oh, last time I was here, I was 
I was just a fan, really. Mm. I, was, I, I was just, I was, I was, just, I was just watching. I love it. Which, I mean, he was never that self-aware in oh the past. Oh my god, no, was, he was, was he? he was announcing himself as the next Ibrahimovic when he was there yeah. as a, as a, as a teenager. I'm, I'm certain I remember him using that comparison in some interviews. Like, that's how good I am. That's how important I am. And he isn't that level. Never did quite get to that level. But I, I don't think he necessarily doesn't fit there. And I think Inter fans are frankly delighted to see anyone alongside Lautaro who isn't the work in Korea with with all sort of um uh I don't know with all respect for Korea I think it's fair to say he's never endeared himself or never been warmly received by the Inter supporters and now probably is is on his way out of the club so they like to play with a with a front two of course and Lautaro mm. that that suits him the best now Lautaro is is the captain you know he's officially mm. the, the 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 leader of Inter even though Dzeko is a, is a big loss, I, I would say. You look at Dzeko going, you look at um, Lukaku going, Correa is probably going. It looks like he's going to Marseille. And mm. it looks like Alexis Sanchez is going to make the inverse move, of course, having left Marseille and that he's going to come back on, on a free. Now, with Marcus Turam, who I think is a terrific signing, if mm. you look at Lautaro, um, Arnautovic, Marcus Turam, presuming that Turam and Lautaro are your starters, and Alexis Sanchez, who was great last season for Marseille. Do you think, Nikki, that they could have a better front four than they had last season? I'm not sure that I do. I mean, I I really like Edin Dzeko. Mm. I think Edin Dzeko was so um, influential in in not just the obvious ways that Inter last season. I think in in those big European nights, he stood up again and again, just in terms of knitting the team together. I think uh, Turam is the most... So he is worth having on the cake as well, isn't he? <laughs> yes, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, um, if, they'd, if they'd won the Champions League, he would have been a prominent figure on that cake, I would say. <laughs> um, one of those little, not-so-little statues. If you're going to do like a wedding cake, so okay, we're going to go way off. Small firework on there, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, Turam's the wild card in this mix and, and had a unremarkable debut but it's his debut lots of time to, to to show what he's capable of I think that the issue with Sanchez is not his talent but I I do feel like realistically now with Dzeko and Lukaku gone this attack has to be set up to serve Lautaro Lautaro yes. is your star everything else has to fit around that and I think to some extent it was encouraging just that Arnautovic provides that assist because it's almost like an acknowledgement you're not here Bologna you were the guy you're not the guy here you're going to mm. be serving M- Martinez and trying to make him be as good as he can and I'm never sure that Sanchez has ever quite been that player even though he's not necessarily the guy who leads the line even though he often plays behind the attack he's never been he's never been his most natural role serving someone else I don't but think he's, I guess at Marseille he's the energy He's yeah. the fire starter. And they've really missed that in the first bit of the season, actually. The, the, the fact that Marseille moved to his rhythm before. You, you, mm. You're right, actually. I think him picking up the little be- bits and pieces is not the most natural role for him, is it? No, I, I don't think so. And we'll see. I, I think also long season, different pieces. You can have things different ways. Lautaro, as good as he is, can't start every single game. You need to have some some flexibility in the system. Uh, I just, I'm not sure yet that I see how it all knits together and maybe I'll feel differently about that again in a month's time when I've watched more of, of Turam in the team and see how that's integrated. Um, but it definitely was an encouraging start to to win 2-0, to do it as confidently as they, they did, to have Lautaro start as well as he did. The, the other sort of caveat with Lautaro is always 
or at least as long as he's been at Inter, he has hot streaks and cold streaks. So him starting on a hot streak is great, but could this be the season that he finally just does it all through the season mm. instead of having these long patches where he doesn't score? It's a great comparison of two strikers. But what bodes well for Serie A, I would have thought, is that there's going to be goals this season. You know, we're, We've identified a couple of those people who are going to provide the goals if all things being equal. But we haven't talked about somebody who surprisingly may be amongst those strikers scoring goals as well that has been brought back to a certain extent from the dead by Roma and Roma being at the club of Juan Jose Mourinho who wasn't happy about being left out of the big name signings this summer. Uh, well, we don't know how ha- happy or unhappy he was, but certainly he, he there's a meme of him that suggests that he wasn't... Oh, Jose. Yeah, yeah, Jose. We talked it, about this in the last did. time I was on. He, t- he took the, the squad photo at the end of their training base in, in the Algarve and just <laughs> posed with another member of his staff with like their arms around someone who wasn't there, which the striker they didn't sign. Who knew that that, <laughs> that person that they didn't have to sign was Andrea Bellotti? Yeah, I'm not sure Jose would quite go that far. <laughs> um, they are still sort of... Um, He's a decent player. They though, are still um, talking about different strikers. There's been this um, this ongoing sort of uh, talk about Zapata from Atlanta. I think there's as Moons now in the conversation as well. Um, and then um, the, uh, the, the one that just got thrown like a grenade into the mix in the last day is Romelu Lukaku who of course still hasn't got a club there's zero chance that Roma are going to spend 40 million euros on Lukaku I'll just put that out there right now so this is only if Chelsea turn around and go actually we we just need to get him off the books back up to the back up to the back up when when (laughs) we get to the last couple of days of the transfer window isn't it if if Roma desperately needs someone and he desperately needs a place to go yeah do you reckon it could work yeah I, I think I think in the same way as when Dybala landed last summer, you would see Rome go crazy for Lukaku. I think yeah. that's this sort of difference of um, of mindset you get. Lukaku is weirdly, given what he represented two years ago in their league title season, there's a significant part of the Inter fans who've just never forgiven him for leaving right afterwards. So he's not particularly popular in, in Milan. Juventus, Turin, the sport is there immediately protesting against the idea of him coming there. Do not want him. Would prefer they stay with Blavic. Don't like that idea at all. In Rome, he would get a hero's reception. And I've always had this feeling with Lukaku that actually that's kind of what he needs. He needs to feel loved, supported. And I think that's the great tragedy of his time at Inter is if he'd, if he'd never left, if he'd won the league and stayed there, he would have been an icon forever. He already has his murals up outside San Siro from that one season. Um, and I think that's by far the most contented I've ever seen him in his career was 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 in that moment. Um, I do realise we've been talking about all these players. I think you were trying to steer us towards Andrea Pelotti. Well, only because he's Rome, used to being Rome, forgotten. He's well, so used to being forgotten. I, no, not from the Euros. Not from the Euros. I think he played really excellently for Italy during the Euros and people remember him from there. But Roma at the moment desperately need a striker to replace Tammy Abraham. They've got one sitting in their books. First of all, how was he forgotten as a striker? Why, why is he not mentioned? And will it work if well, he's brought back he in the front line? He didn't score in 31 Serie A games last okay, season. Fair I mean, I mean that, that's the issue. <laughs> that, but yeah, I, 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 think there is, I think there is a, a, a little sort of asterisk to that in the for a player who at one point was being held by 
Urbano Cairo, the, the, the president of, of Torino, to a 100 million euro release clause. And people were actually considering it because he was such a, not not just a consistent goal scorer, but a consistent presence uh, for Torino. Like, like like you said, he was he was, he was influential in Euro 2020. He's best. He's, mm. he's, he's a really, really hardworking striker. And at his best, which he was nowhere near for all of last season, it, it wasn't really just the lack of goals. It's that he didn't look comfortable. He didn't look confident. You weren't getting the all-round hustle that you get from him. And honestly, Nicky, that's what happens if even an elite player doesn't get a pre-season. Now, this time, they've needed him because they haven't managed to sign anyone so far this summer because really they don't have any money, as you as, as you were saying before. Mm-hmm. But with the injury to Tammy Abraham, with whiffing on all these top targets, they're forced to play. He looked an a completely different player against Salernitana to the one he did last season. Yeah, he scored twice. And I um, wrote this in my, my, my Guardian column this week. I still think that out of those two goals and then one he scored before that they got disallowed which was really tight wasn't it yeah really tight offside it was the one that um that got disallowed that to me just sort of was a snapshot of of what he's like when he's on because he's 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 nicknamed il gallo the rooster in italy but i I think he's almost a bull to me on the pitch when he's Mm, when he's on he's he's so physical he's so um brutish sometimes in the way he's able to like use his body to 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 make space and get people off the ball. There's something very and, manual about him. Yeah. Isn't it? And and he's not refined to the sort of well, he's obviously very refined compared to 99% of footballers, but compared to what you expect in an elite striker, I don't think he's refined. But he's got this sort of ruthlessness to him that means he can be extremely efficient with his touches so it's not always about the cleanness of the touch but he's just so single-minded in front of goal when you look at his best years at Torino that was always what he was just dominating defenders in the box and if he needed to pull off an overhead kick in no space he'd find a way to do it just because he had that hunger in him and you felt like he was going to find a way to get that ball across the line whatever it was going to take and that was what it felt like that first when he got in the net was just Right foot control, left foot straight in the net. No, no energy wasted, no space wasted. I, I think he's he's got that in him, and it's like we all collectively forgot he had that in him because it's been so long since we saw it. Um, of course, it's one game. He might not score again for the next thirty-one. I really hope it's it is the start of a sort of recapturing of confidence moment because he he can look so dominant in those spaces in the penalty area where he wants to be getting on top of defenders and just being like one touch two touch back of the net it felt to me like the difference was when that goal was chalked out for that very close offside it was hugely celebrated then VAR had a look at it Mm. it it felt to me like uh, at that moment I was like he's never going to score a league goal for Roma Mm. but he clearly didn't feel that that. he he didn't let it bother him and Mm. he he just got up and got on with it again as as if like okay well last season didn't work but this season is going to be my season Mm. and Jose said this right we we were saying Jose was doing all of his um, he obviously wants another striker he should want another striker even if Belotti's good you want another striker because who else is there with Mm. Abraham injured until January but he did say this um, don't don't um, disrespect this guy he's going to be a, a big deal again this season and he might be right like I said if anybody can Jose can
Okay, if we can pause on the great German bake-off for a moment, we'll return to it, don't worry. Let's look at the French League. Uh, League 1, we expect, will be what it is, with PSG dominating. But we've been waiting all of this transfer window, Andy, for some news on where Mbappe will end up this season. It seems like he's still going to be at PSG. Was it disrespectful of them then to bring him off the bench last weekend? Well, I guess they didn't really have an option given the the, the fact that he'd, he'd been so far out of the picture. He was uh, part of the lofter, as they put it, the ones they put in the loft. The, the, the players who were just considered not part of it at all and and and, and put away. And he's dealt with that pretty well, I think. Um, it's, it's, every, it's no secret the the open warfare almost between him and the club for for this summer. But it had to come to a head sooner or later. And it's funny that you would always expect if there's some sort of dispute between player and club, that the club protecting an asset has to make the first move. It wasn't PSG who made the first move. It was Mbappe who who made the first move. Now, neither party is without fault here. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's fair to say. I mean, it clearly had very, very swift buyer's remorse after he signed his contract extension. Basically, he should have gone to Real Madrid last year, let his contract go, and, and, and that was that. But that's not the situation we're in. And so this drama is being replayed and escalated to the next level. But it was just such a, a destructive situation, not just for him, but for, for PSG, I think they realised. Um, and they got to a point where they, they realised that despite the big talk in public, they, they couldn't shift him. They couldn't make him leave if he didn't want to. So they were going to have to find some sort of compromise, which he has been open to, to bring him back. And really, they need that to stop this season being a write-off. Now, we saw this when he came on as substitute against Toulouse. And like I said, he hasn't had enough. He had a week of first-team training before. He hadn't had any matches. That They left him at home for the Tour of Japan. So in terms of bringing him on as a sub, of course, coming on at the same time as his pal, Usman Dembele, who's just signed, wearing what is now his number 10 shirt, taken off, off, off Neymar um, for his debut. Uh, it, it, it felt quite symbolic of... PSG putting this nonsense to bed, really. But the fact that he came on and immediately won a penalty, converted a penalty, and was a bit like, you know, what's all the fuss about? (laughs) I'm I'm here now. Now, whether that will last, of course, there's the possibility that Real Madrid could make a, a late offer in the window. For what it's worth, I don't think PSG would accept that. And I said from the start of this that he will end up staying this season and going to Real Madrid next summer I, I i would i would stick by that but i think in terms of this season it was like a really good reminder of i can still make this a good season for us of course he can and he needs to doesn't he nicky because if you're the best quote unquote footballer in the world you can't have a season on the sidelines as it were you can't have a wasted season That's because true. that would impact you further down the line and i wonder whether this is the season then that not only does Mbappe make a significant impact on the fortunes of PSG in Europe, but also that the rest of the team contribute to make sure that he can leave PSG 
with a title, a European title, not the domestic title that they'll win nevertheless, most probably, but the Champions League title is what they really want and which would put him back where he belongs as the number one striker in the world. I think it's a big ask still to win the Euro- uh, to win the European Cup. I'm not sure that I see this team as, as being ready for it. It is a really interesting dynamic, certainly in terms of him the transformative um, impact he has on that team is is so obvious, right? He misses the start of this Luis Enrique era and then just comes on and immediately scores their first goal. That that's that's sort of undeniable. And and I think it's so easy to think about the World Cup uh, final where it just becomes this two Amazing greatest players skill. on the planet yeah. dueling it out. And you think, well, can he just do that in the Champions League? Be one player who carries his 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 club like he did his country and and is capable of, of winning that duel with anyone. But I think it's it's such a different thing to go that far in the Champions League as it is in the World Cup. The World Cup is always a more open competition because you haven't got teams that are built into these long-term juggernauts like Manchester City that you're going up against. You don't just need to be a, a brilliant individually centred team. You have to have a, a project, I think, these days to win in Europe. So I'm I'm not convinced that they can go all the way in Europe, but certainly if anyone's going to give them that chance to, it, it is the best player in the world, which he might be. He's at yeah. least in that conversation. I think, I think that's fair. And I, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head, Nicky. It's, like, it's not that they've got a great chance to win the Champions League with him in the team. Mm. It's that they've got no chance to win the Champions exactly. League without him in the team. That, that, <laughs> yeah. that, 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 Fair enough. Really. What do they need to do then to win the Champions League with him? What What do the rest of the players, the rest of the team, the, the club, the new manager, etc., what do they need to do? Unless he signs a contract extension, Dot, and there's no way I'd, I think he's winning the Champions League with him. Not this mm. season. Why? Because... They're too much of a work in progress. Yeah. They're, they're, they're having this massive culture change. They're moving away from not just Messi, not just Neymar, Sergio Ramos. They're making that team younger. They're trying to make it a bit more French. They've brought in Usman Dembele. They're still trying to get um, Randall Colomouani. They're looking at Bradley Barcola from, from Lyon as well, if they can make that deal happen. But these are not players who are going to change your team overnight, I don't think. And that's always been the problem, that there's been a a preference for superstars over culture. And culture takes time to build. Mm-hmm. And what Kylian Mbappe always wanted was to build a culture. Now, whether he actually had the patience to wait for that to take hold, and of course it didn't start last season because they couldn't get rid of Neymar, I think is, is, is a different question. So okay, they didn't deliver what he wanted, but did he have the patience to wait for what he wanted? Mm. I, I think you have to ask as as, as well. Now, th- this season, I think in a European context, is about being patient. If, if they're going to win a European competition, I would say their best chance of that is finishing third in the Champions League <laughs> group and winning the Europa League in the last season that it's going to be possible to do that. Mm. Because... I think you you look at, there are still so many questions. We're looking at PSG now with a week and a day left in the transfer window. I think they got work to do in that little period. And there are questions like, what happens with Verratti? Is Donnarumma the goalkeeper over the next 
two, three seasons the goalkeeper that they want to go forward with. Obviously, it won't be Kaylor Navas, but you know, is is Donnarumma, who has never had unanimous backing, I, I think at, at, at PSG, and they've kind of backed him because they've had to, but he's never totally convinced. I, I think is Marquinhos going to stay and be the leader that they need? That's a question as as, as well. But I, I think the biggest question for the rest of this season, even do they get Colo Mani or not? I think they probably do get him before the the deadline. But in terms of the composition of that midfield, the biggest question, do they keep Verratti or do they not keep Verratti? Because that has a potentially enormous effect on their situation. And Nicky, if he doesn't stay, they need a replacement and a half for him, right? Because he is really the only potential tempo setter mm. that they have in their midst. And Luis Enrique, I think if you asked him on a purely football level, would love to keep him. I think to sort of, I suppose to be less dismissive of the question about the Champions League, because having said everything I've just said, I suppose I have to also take a step back and say, I would never have imagined Inter in the Champions League final until True. somewhere around March. The real answer is what would it take for them to win the Champions League? What it would take is probably a favourable draw and Mbappe to decide those games in March and April. Because in the end, that can happen in knockout football because it is a small number of games. You can have an, an outsized influence in a small number of games. Well, each and, game's like a World Cup final and he's been there. Um, yeah. In that respect. You know? Yeah. So so I, I think that's the, the real answer. And I think that the other part of that for me would probably be what you need to do is find to combine with that real defensive solidity. So it's about Milan Skriniar becoming more comfortable and 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 being part of uh becoming part of that that team and that defense. Or being and, fit. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. would be a, a good yeah. start. Um and once you get that, if you can become defensively solid and have Kylian Mbappe, sure, you can you can win knockout games of football with that combination. He will want to make sure that this season isn't just extra time at PSG, won't you? No, it's about being competitive. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're totally right. I mean, I, I guess what the exits of Messi and Neymar give them, as well as an opportunity to change the culture inside the dressing room and in, in, inside the club, I give them an opportunity to be better off the ball. And that is the first step towards winning the Champions League. Now, like Nicky, I think it's a massive ask to expect them to be able to do that from the, the, the get-go. But by being younger, more athletic, more willing. I mean, let's get this straight. Usman Dembele doesn't make you better without the ball. But, you know, I think you look at Kolo Moani, who, by the way, I think is is, is a polymath. He's, he's so, so intelligent on, on the pitch. And I think he would be a massive signing for, for them, Randall Kolo Moani. Um, you you just need to have an idea of exactly what you're going to be when you haven't got the ball. That that is the bit that's going to make you win knockout games of football, and that that, that doesn't just mean the defence. They were never going to win, as we've said time and time again on here. They were never going to win the Champions League with that front front three of Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. Yeah, just going off piece for just one moment. How do you think the appearance of Jude Bellingham at Real Madrid where Mbappe should have been last season or maybe even a couple of seasons back. How do you think that appearance is going to impact on him? What, what is he thinking when he sees Jude 
Bellingham taking the plaudits that he should be getting? I think that's a question that's impossible to answer without having Mbappe's ear because there's two ways he could take it. He could take it as jealousy and frustration and, oh, maybe I don't want to go there now because they've got someone else who's the man. Or he could take it as... I can't wait to get there and play with this superstar and make a team of 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 even higher levels. I think that entirely comes to to his personal mindset, um, which is hard for me to scrutinise. Yeah, but I think I think you make a really good point because not just in terms of ego, but in terms of actual tactical space. I, mm. I think there's a big question there because clearly, having not invested in that superstar striker with Mbappe down the line to replace Benzema, they've created a situation where Bellingham's off the leash a bit more and I'm not just saying that because of the three goals in two games and of course he got the assist for Vinicius last weekend at Almeria as well this is what Bellingham was edging towards at Dortmund but it seems like at the moment I don't want him to do any of that defensive stuff just well he can defend from the front sure but they don't really want him in his own half they want him off the leash they want him coming into the box late and scoring goals now how does that fit with Mbappe arriving. But I think this has always been the question with Mbappe to, to Real Madrid. Okay, the ideological fit, the fact that he wanted to be there um, since he was a kid, the fact that he worshipped Cristiano Ronaldo and had posters of him all over his wall, the fact that it's a pinnacle of world football historically, all the in European football historically and all the rest of it. Yeah, fine. But the fact is that the, the most comfortable that Mbappe is on the pitch is on the left-hand side cutting in. That's Vinicius's spot. You can't have that. So he is going to be playing as a centre forward where he's always said, yeah, yeah, maybe I need a big man to play off. Who is that big man? Hozilu? Hozilu's not going to be playing every week for, for, for Real Madrid, is he? So the idea that Mbappe is completely plug and play is wrong. I think with Vinicius and his status and with Bellingham and his growing status, which like looks absolutely inexorable, by the way, I think there's a big question to how Mbappe fits and that's something to be worked out. Yeah, let's get back to the Bundesliga. Remember, they're 60 years old today. And of course, we focus a lot on the Bundesliga, not least because they've got the current England captain playing uh, for Bayern Munich, but also because, Andy, you remember a couple of weeks ago, Nick, he was touting the Bundesliga uh, uh, for being the league that is more, most difficult to call um, this season because it could be anybody's. Well, maybe just to... behind Italy. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was going to say. Well, that as well. Join, got you both there for that. But is it any clearer now that uh, Bayern Munich are where they should be, which is leading the league, or where they usually are? Yeah, well, I, I, I suppose like from a distance, you look at it and you think 4-0 win on the first day. Kane having the dream debut gets an assist in four minutes for Leroy Zane, which is exactly what he's there for, dropping into those spaces and, and and playing great passes onto their extremely quick wide players. And he gets the goal of his own. I think it's easy to look at it from a distance and say, okay, Kane's march towards the Bundesliga starts here. And, you, you know, he's going to be holding up the salad bowl in eight months' time and that, that'll all be fine and dandy. I, I don't think that's an accurate representation of, of where we are at the moment despite what happened in the first weekend, because I think you can look at how convincing Kane and Bayern were and what an incredible tactical fit he is for them, by the way. Um, and I think I think you look at the fact that Dortmund quite struggled 
to, to, to beat Köln. They, they weren't great. They got an undeserved late winner from Daniel Marlin. Look at Leipzig, who schooled Bayern in that Super Cup, going down to Xavi Alonso's Leverkusen on, on, on the first weekend. And I think it's easy to say, okay, Kane and Bayern have got this wrapped up. I think there are a couple of things you have to look at. Firstly, the fact they won 4-0 against Werder Bremen. Werder Bremen haven't won a game against Bayern since 2008. That's quite a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, we're, t- we're talking about a very previous era. We're talking about Meza Ozil era. Um, uh, Werder Bremen there. It's, it's, it's a long time ago. So, um, you know, they're, they're the Bundesliga bunnies for Bayern. So, Bayern were always going to go there and hammer them. It's not a particularly strong Werder Bremen team this season as, as, as well. There will be tougher tasks ahead. I think from the, the Dortmund are the most interesting aspect of this because I think when you look at how last season ended with them, you know, I, I hate the word bottling, but they did bottle the title on the on the final on the last, day. Day, last season against Mike. You can't get away from that. Now, it's something that they, they needed to get over sooner rather than later. And conversely, despite playing quite poorly, despite lacking intensity, despite not pressing well, any of that good stuff. And it's, it's different because Dort- Dortmund aren't really a pressing side. Despite lacking that sort of urgency, I think a game where they didn't play particularly well and yet somehow they managed to eke out a win has probably done them the world of good. You know, the fact that if we're going to be champions, you can't play great in every game. If we're going to have aspirations to be champions, you can't play great in every game, but we will find a way to win. We will find a way to get it done against what on the day was a, a, a pretty good Köln side. But in terms of exercising those demons, I mean, everything about it, I mean, I was saying in my Guardian column this Monday, it was the, the fact that they were going back to the, the scene of the crime because their first game of the season was their first home game of the season, their first competitive home game since that doomsday scenario against Mainz on the final day of last season. But everything down to like the strip they were wearing, because, of course, it's one of those things, I don't want to get all oh, modern football old man about it, but the clubs now advertise next season's kit in their last game of the following season. But, of course... Their bright new kit with that bold design with the silhouette of the stadium on it, that will always be the kit which they bottled the Bundesliga mm. in, you know? And now you've got to put it on again and it's meant to be a fresh start and all the rest of it. And you're looking down thinking, right, we've, we've got to make this kit about something else. But you know what? I, th- I think it's just a start for Dortmund. They will get better. They're betting in new signings, good new signings. Marcel Zabitzer. Felix Metcher, who came on as a, a, a sub just in, in, in this game, who will provide a bit of that punch from midfield that they're losing with, with Bellingham. He got the flick for Marlen to, to, to score the winner near the end. Karamadi Yemi, not quite fit. He'll get there. He was immense in the second half of last season. I think Dortmund have got quite a lot to give. It's, it's interesting. I, I think there's just sort of this inevitable feeling with Dortmund of you've lost one of the league's biggest stars in Jude Bellingham and he's gone off somewhere else and he's setting the world on fire. It's hard not to feel sort of, it's not hard, it's hard not to feel, well, if you couldn't do it with this guy, how do you do it without this guy? Mm. Um, and, and I think that question when it's 
accompanied by Harry Kane to Bayern Munich becomes even more sort of daunting. If you weren't good enough then, then then how are you going to be now? And that's what makes me sort of want to look around and, and see someone else who could do it. And of course, Leipzig's smashing Bayern the way they did makes you ask that question, but they just seem too chaotic, don't they? Obviously, a pender looks brilliant. Looks like there's a chance to score lots of goals and can see lots of goals there, though, is a problem. Um well, it's just easy to forget that, that, as we were saying last week, that they've lost four, their four best players. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like going and getting individual results like you can against, like they did against Bayern in the Super Cup, fine. Consistently pulling it together with what is quite a new team, I think is quite difficult. Are we saying then that it's business as usual in the Bundesliga, that Bayern are going to, however tough the season is, at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to lift the title? I, I, mean, I, I think it's definitely too early to say that. And I think that when you've just got walloped by a team like Leipzig to to n- not acknowledge that just because they won their first game of the actual Bundesliga season convincingly is is madness. I think you definitely have to um, allow more possibilities than that. I think I'm just not sure it would... I think it, there's sort of this expectation that it should be Dortmund and I'm just sort of trying to see if it, if it could be someone else, if it could be yeah. an outsider like Union Berlin... Um, I don't know. Well, Union Berlin are interesting, actually, because they've signed very well, very mm. ambitiously this summer. Now, we talked last week and David talked last week um, on Ask OTC about the positive momentum behind them, how they've sold out the Olympia Stadion three times in, in a day. Um, and, you know, you look at their their, their, their signings as, as, as well. Kevin Folland's come in. Robin Gosens has come in. And these are the sort of players that mm. they can attract nowadays. Now, last weekend, it was, it, was, it was weird. They were almost the most convincing challenger in being quite unconvincing as well. A, <laughs> a little bit like Dortmund. It feels to me like a title hallmark that you can go and get a result when you're not playing particularly well. Now, the weird thing about Union Berlin, I mean, they are masters of that. They're, they're almost like Bayern from 20 years ago. You think... They're not playing well, but it's inevitable. They're Mm. going to find a way to win this game. They so often do that, Union. And I think with those high-class players, it increases the probability of you doing that. Now, you look against Mainz last weekend. 4-1 looks easy enough on paper. Mainz missed two penalties, (laughs) which has never happened. Ludovic Ajork missed two penalties. It's never happened to a player in a Bundesliga game before that he's missed two penalties in, in, in the same game. They were both really feeble penalties, which were quite easily saved by Frederick Ronner. But, you know, they, they they managed to ride it out and pick the opposition off. You got a hat-trick from Kevin Behrens when, when you look at all their players that could make the difference this season. When you look at Volant, he's still top class in, in, in my opinion. When you look at Toussaint, when you look at Gosens, and you've got Kevin Behrens who had not played top football, uh, top flight football like before he's 30. He arrives um, as a really sort of journeyman striker, scores a hat-trick on the first day and then cycles home. <laughs> I mean, it's just so Union Berlin. They remain themselves even though they're entering into this completely different dimension. I'll tell you what, there are a lot of teams in that Champions League drawing pots one, two and three that will not want them. I think they're going to be a, a real tough nut to, to, to crack. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Leipzig and Dortmund, who I, I do think have recruited well and will, will, will get better. By Leverkusen, we haven't spent any time talking about them, and they yeah. seem to be. And, and you know. a great win for them on the first day is, 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 is you say, and Jamie Alonso has 
been exceptional since he's, he's been yeah. there. He, he took them over when they were in the relegation zone. And like it's one thing taking over a, a team when they're in the relegation zone. When you're an inexperienced coach who's never coached a top-flight team, to then impress your personality on the team, get them out of that, get them to the Europa League semi-finals and the brink of getting into the top four. It's an astonishing achievement. And it's his team, the way they play. They've got his personality. But they're off they the pace, on the first though, day. aren't they? Yeah, I know they haven't lost, uh, they've lost, what, twice since March. But yeah. they're, they're a long way behind Dortmund when it comes to challenging, uh, I think, aren't they? I think they are. I, I mean, the top four has to be the target for them. And yeah, I, yeah. I think, you know, they've lost their, their best player in, in, in Moussa Diaby. But they they were really really fantastic. On what the first was day I, against I just, Leipzig? I, I sort of I think perhaps it's a limitation of my thinking, but I think I sort of can't see the Dortmund story happening just because again you're trying to do the same thing with lesser resources. Whereas something like Bayer Leverkusen, when I mean, you've got a team that is a bit less certain, I mean. Victor Boniface having a really like nice debut up front yeah, and good. you've got these sort of wild cards thrown into the mix. I think that's what it would take to upset the apple cart. It requires a wild card of some sort to to do it. I'm not saying it would be them, but I think it would have to be something that we haven't seen coming if we're talking for it to a, happen. If we're talking about a player as a wild card, I I think it could be I think it could be Felix Metcher for mm-hmm. for Dortmund. Now, huge controversy over his signing as as, as we said before because he's been accused of um, promoting homophobic and transphobic views on his social media account. There were protests from Dortmund fans about, about signing him. He's allegedly had to sign a document that gets him an absolutely enormous fine if he puts anything like that on, on, on social media. That was, I, I suppose, they, they compromised. Uh, Hans-Joachim Vatska, the, the um, CEO, said, oh, he's convinced us he doesn't hold any of these views and he loves and respects everyone equally. Well, look, we'll see. But I th- think in terms of replacing um, Bellingham's ability to run late into the box and technique, he can maybe do that. The fact they've got Marcel Zabitzer as well, who had a, a bad time at Bayern, but he's a really, really good player. Mm-hmm. I think they've ended up with, they've lost one exceptional midfield player, but I think they've signed two very good ones, one of whom could become exceptional. And th- I think that's that's a, an acknowledgement of the loss, isn't it? Like the idea that you can't replace Bellingham with one well, player. Um, I think that's important to acknowledge. The other thing about them is I think if you look at the second half of last season for Dortmund compared to the first half, they were sixth at Christmas. Mm. And before Christmas, um, Alain, Marlon, Adeyemi hadn't scored a goal between them. And then after Christmas, boom. That shows how Terzic got through to that team. I think the coach is the most important part. I think it's that. interesting the way that Jude Bellingham still casts uh, something of a shadow over the Bundesliga. It's inevitable though, no? It, it is, it is. But is it inevitable that his former teammates are now saying, that's a relief that he's gone? I mean, that's an interesting story, isn't it? It came out in Built like, about a week ago. Um, that they, they were saying that some of the, 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 the Dortmund dressing room was glad to see the back of him because they they found his is attitude, in inverted commas, difficult to live with. I mean, it's, it's funny because this is kind of a recycling of an old story in a way because the only thing that Bellingham was ever criticised for in Germany is his demeanour on the pitch when things were going wrong. People thought he tore out his own teammates too much and he was, he was, he was a bit negative. 
But this wasn't a secret. This is a discussion that's been had publicly. And uh, Emre Can, who's now the captain, took him to task publicly about it. He said, you, you can't behave like that on, on, on the pitch. Now, of course, there's two ways of looking at it. There's one way of looking at it saying, well, you know, if you're going to be a winner, you have to have massively high standards. But it's difficult, isn't it? Retaining like that, that sort of sense of positivity when things are going wrong, encouraging your teammates would appear to be a given in a, any, any sort of situation. Although, what do you think? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's it's so hard because the dynamics of a changing room shift every year anyway, right? Mm. Him leaving is is part of that shift. It's who's left behind are the ones doing the talking. And and when he was present in that in that uh, room, then there's a different dynamic because the people who are his allies are more likely to say something at that point. I think there's there's a, a shift in every in every changing room, every uh, transfer window, but. I do think that um, there's a lot to be said for chemistry in football. And if there is something real to it, then perhaps that could be a lift for them that we don't I, see coming. I think it's easier to say it once he's gone, isn't it? Exactly. It's selling it to yourself that, oh, it's all right. We're going to be fine without right. him. He was, you know, he, ne- he never took out the trash. He never washed yes, up, sort, yeah. of, sort of thing. I think, I think that's easy to say. I think this is an offhand comment from a player saying, like to a to a confident, we're going to be all right. That has been blown into a Dortmund dressing room. Glad to see the back of him. Of course, they'd rather have him. He's one of the best players in the world, yeah. as he's beginning to prove week on week on week. Normally, of course, we would ask you both for a game of the week recommendation, a suggestion of a game that we can enjoy amongst all the plethora of games available. But this week, as it's the 60th anniversary of the Bundesliga, what we want is some German food that we can enjoy. This is the great German Bake Off and a game to go with it. Can we do it that way around? Yeah. I had to give you a Bundesliga game. I wasn't born to this before I came in. Never mind mind the game. The game can be from anywhere in Europe, but the food... What we're going to eat with it, we always ask you for a food pairing. Mm-hmm. That's the important bit. So we'll start off with what we're going to eat and then we'll get your game recommendation. Okay, so It's the 60th anniversary of, of the course, Bundesliga. Of course. Well, I am probably less well-versed in uh, German cuisine, but I have to admit that when I went to Munich, having heard the stories about currywurst and then never having it, I did really like it. Currywurst is delicious. I like so that. We're, we're, on, we're on it. And what game are we going to watch with it? I, I'm sure there's great games in Bundesliga. I wasn't expecting to <laughs> no, be uh, no, set to up that Bundesliga. way. So, so I was go. going to say Fiorentina Lecce this weekend. Uh, Fiorentina obviously started the season brilliantly for one win. Vincenzo Italiano is the great sort of coming manager of Italian football, I think, right now. And his teams play uh, brilliant, entertaining football. But Lecce also beat Lazio. And they have this kid, Pontus Almqvist, who who showed up in Serie A, scored a brilliant equaliser in that game and then did this extraordinary side flip to celebrate it. He's not someone who was really on my radar before signing for Not a backflip, a side flip. Yeah, he went sideways. <laughs> and I have to admit, I don't know if this is just me getting older. I watched him and thought, oh God, he's going to injure himself. Yeah, <laughs> just, that's he's what the coach was thinking as well, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, I wanted to see more of Vincenzo Italiano's teams forever. So that's the game I'm interested in. Le- Le- Leche, uh, La Leche, as they say in Spain. Well, what's the kid's name again? Pontus Almqvist. Yeah, that is a Swedish, that's a Swede. Pontus Almqvist, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I got a new favourite. I know, I have, I have. What was I haven't even seen him play, but the side flip is enough. What about you, Andy? Food recommendation, then a game. Uh, the, the, the food recommendation, let's get baking. Let's get baking as autumn approaches. Let's, yeah. let's, let's bake some bread pretzels. 
Wow, and, and, yeah. and don't don't skimp on the rock salt as well. I th- I You're think... going for salt. I like the sugary ones. Really? Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I'll bear that in mind when mate, I'm baking my first batch. Cheap, perfect tea. <laughs> not not for long. Once I've been baking. <laughs> I, I remember uh, coming through Munich Airport. I had a connecting flight. Oddly, I had a connecting flight going down to to Naples. It was on the way back from there. I'd gone to celebrate uh, some friends um, having their birthday. On the way back, I was let us say I was not at my best because it had been a big birthday celebration I had a very early morning flight um, coming back and um, I saw there was a a pretzel on sale in the airport and I thought salt that looks good it had a big slab of cheese in the middle I thought great cheesy pretzel this is this is what the hangover needs right now and I asked for it Uh, can I have the pretzel with cheese and they said we don't have a pretzel with cheese and it was just the (laughs) butter was that thick in between really? the pretzel oh, wow. but it was okay. looked to me like a slab of cheese in the middle of it so respect to the was it, was it worth it I actually didn't get it after I realized it was butter I thought that was that was too far <laughs> for me I got something else but but well game wise um, there there were two on Saturday night that were really catching my uh, PSG versus Lance yeah. uh, I think that'll be really interesting PSG still to win this season uh, Lance their closest challengers last season who improbably have replaced the aforementioned um, Lois Openda with uh, Eli Wai, young striker from Montpellier. Brilliant, brilliant player. Um, they've done very well to get him. And the only reason they have got him, actually, is because Lucas Pacatar's move to Manchester City has fallen through. Because with that money, West Ham would have gone and bought Wai. But they haven't got that money, so Lance swooped in and got him instead, which is a huge boost for their Champions League campaign. Also, it's worth keeping an eye on Sevilla versus Girona on the second screen. Sevilla have started the season terribly. Watch this space. Well, thank you for listening to On the Continent. Make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And make sure that you subscribe in your podcast app as well so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.